Welcome to Early Homecoming, a podcast for missionaries who have returned home early and for those who care about them. My name is Kristen Reber, and I am the author of Early Homecoming, a resource for early returned missionaries, their church leaders, and family. On this podcast, you will hear stories and gain insights from myself and other missionaries who returned home early, as well as experts, parents, and church leaders. Join us on the path of understanding and healing as we share our stories and insights about the phenomena of returning home early from a mission. Hello, welcome back to Early Homecoming. Today I have with me Wallace. Wallace served in the Canada-Calgary mission in the summer of 2018. She decided to return home because of severe mental health issues that arose during her service, and we'll get more into that. She has since then gotten married to a wonderful man and finished her undergraduate degree in English arts. Wallace, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm super stoked, and you have a story, actually, that I think so many people can relate to on so many different levels. Um, So let's just go ahead and dive right into it. Go ahead and tell me your story. Um, gosh. <laughs> um, so, like you said, I served in the Canada-Calgary mission. I... Originally, I I remember when I was deciding to serve a mission, I wanted to serve in the uh, Nauvoo, like performing missionaries mission. And I ended up not being able to do that. And my mom said, you know, well, maybe you need to fast and pray about serving like a full time uh, proselytizing mission. And she said, you know, read your scriptures. And I was like, Mom, I don't even have to tell you I am reading about Alma and Amulek right now in the scriptures. And so I fasted and prayed about it and I studied more and I felt like I really needed to serve. Um, So I filled out the paperwork uh, and then I decided to serve. And I remember opening the call and reading Canada, Calgary and being like, oh my gosh, how did I not even think of this place? It's absolutely perfect. And so I went into the MTC at the beginning of May, 2018, and then I served until about the middle of September 2018. All of my companions were wonderful. I loved the area I was serving in. The people were incredible. I loved my mission president. All the missionaries I served with were incredible. And the decision to come home was really difficult, as I'm sure that all early missionary, early Richard missionaries understand. And when I got home, I had a really supportive family um, and ward that were, you know, just really happy that I had gone out and that I was coming home and taking care of myself. Um, Something that was really difficult when I came home was um, my dad was really, really sick. So he had been diagnosed with ALS in March of 2018. So before I came home from my mission, and then I came back and it was like I came back to a whole different person. His speech was really, really affected. Um, He wasn't, you know, able to move as much as before. And so it was really weird, that sort of disconnect between 
the the man that had, you know, given me a blessing and, you know, given me a big hug before I went to the MTC. And now this man who, you know, I can't always understand what he says and all this stuff. So it was, it was a big disconnect and a lot of different things to process all at once. That would be, for those who aren't familiar with ALS, um, you know, what, do you remember what ALS stands for? I'm sorry. I don't know off the top of my head. It's a, it's a long scientific term yeah. name, um, but it's colloquially known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, okay, it's also, that's what Yeah, it's Lou Gehrig's, and then it is the sickness, the illness that uh, Stephen Hawking had. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you are familiar with Stephen Hawking, or if you're not, I mean, there is a really good movie about um, Stephen Hawking and his struggle with ALS. Oh my gosh, I'm having a really hard time remembering what it's called. The Theory of Everything. Oh my gosh, yes, it's so good, and it mm-hmm. really describes so well not only what Hawking went through, but what the people around him went through as he his disease took over him more, but. Anyways, yeah. that's Stephen Hawking, and so this is though this is your dad. I mean, this yeah. is the man who who raised you. So let's talk about that coming home to a parent who is different, and I mean it's it's a little different. Like sometimes people come home and their parents are emotionally withdrawn, or they're just distant or different in some way, but they don't quite have a disease. But I still think hearing more about this experience of yours is relatable and could possibly be very helpful. And then we'll kind of go back and find out this great mission that you had. Why did it end? But we'll start with your dad. Perfect. Um, yeah, I, I remember when I was in the MTC, there was like, I, I can't remember if it was someone like in our zone or, or someone that was just like in a room next to me and my companion, but they had talked about, um, kissing their grandma goodbye at the MTC because they didn't know if they would, you know, see her again after the mission. And I don't know, I don't know why I thought, oh, well, that won't be me, you know? And it was, it, it's really, it was really tough coming home to um, my dad being so different because my dad, so my dad was a cowboy for a long time. Um, He was very active, very, um, you know, he, he, he was, he was like John Wayne in a lot of ways where he's very, you know, well-spoken. He, he voiced his opinions very easily, but he cared a lot about people and again, very physically active. And so it was weird coming home to, you know, this, this man who we would have to, you know, we took care of him and it was, it was, the, the change that the flip in that was really, really difficult to come to terms with. And I am glad I came home when I did um, because my, so September, 2018, I came home and then March, 2019 was when he passed away. And so it was, while it was difficult to watch him, you know, kind of, fizzle out because that's the only way to put it. If you know someone that has ALS or something similar where it's just so degenerative and, you know, it's hard watching those people, you know, really, really just get 
physically, you know, more drawn and small, but also, you know, it, it's kind of like their light sort of slowly dies. And that's really hard to watch. But I'm, I'm glad that I came home when I did because my family's the type of family where they would be like, yeah, you know, it's not great, but, you know, we've done worse, you know. And so it, it was like I wouldn't have known until he had already passed away that he passed away. And so it was nice coming home because I, I got to, I don't know, hold on to him a little bit more. And I don't think that a lot of missionaries, when they go out and they leave, you know, a sick family member behind, they always get that chance. And that is, I, I, I couldn't imagine that, especially with someone like my dad, who I, you know, love so much and look up to. And so I, I appreciate the time that I was able to spend with him, even though he was such a different person. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm so glad you got that time with your dad. I agree. That's so important. And yeah, not everyone gets that. Um, how did you cope personally with not only watching him decline, but also with the changes? Like, like how, what, what self-care did you do to be able to uh, go through that? I will be really honest, I have always been really bad at self-care, and I was really bad, especially at self-care, after I came home from my mission, because I, you know, was dealing with a lot of things. Something that really helped, I think, you know, looking back, I think it helped a lot more than I realized at the time, was, so I live in northeastern Nevada, lived in northeastern Nevada, and my nearest temple was um, Salt Lake City. And so part of my return, and I think a lot of people, when they come home from a mission early, a lot of people will do the same thing where they will do family, uh, LDS family services therapy. And my therapy was in um, Salt Lake. And it was right on Temple Square. And so in the morning, I would do a therapy session. And then in the afternoon, I would go over and do a session at the temple. And it was really, I think it also helped that at the time there were still live sessions. And so it was nice seeing real people do the, the, the different pieces of the temple and um, feel really close to my Heavenly Father when I was trying to, to sort of navigate these two different points of my life that I was reeling with. And then, yeah, so I would go to the temple. Um, but I didn't do a lot of daily self-care, uh, which I think was not the best choice. <laughs> I was working a really tough job at the time when I came home from my mission. And that took a lot of, a lot of physical energy out of me. And because I didn't have a lot of emotional energy to give, I was sort of paralyzed. Um, but spent, being able to spend, you know, two afternoons a month in the temple was really, really beneficial. During this time, um, did you ever struggle at all with your faith? You had just served a mission, uh, you came home for mental health reasons, um, and now your dad is dying. And, you know, we hear all the time in church culture that you're going to be blessed and your family will be blessed for serving mm -hmm. a mission. Um, 
was there ever kind of a disconnect or were you able to maintain faith through all this? I was really lucky, I think, because I was able to maintain a lot of my faith. Like I mentioned earlier, I had a really supportive ward family, um, as well as like my immediate family. And so it was a really good, I don't know, testament to me that the Lord works through other people. And so I, while I personally, um, I, I never really thought, you know, this is really unfair. <laughs> well, I did think that, but I, I, I never really had that moment at the time of me sort of shaking my fist at God and saying, you know, why would this happen? You know, how, how could this be? I thought I would be blessed because I, I just, yeah. And so I was really lucky that I didn't really question a lot of things at the time because I, I, I think too, because I threw myself into going to the temple so often and working on being present in things. I think that gave me a little bit of perspective and I want to say that I understand why some people don't have that same experience and that, you know, questioning your religion that you grew up in that made all these promises is completely valid. And I'm blessed that I didn't go through that at the time, but I, I know a lot of people that did. And that is, that is another, you know, huge testament to their faith that they kept at it and kept at it. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I agree with everything you just said. I don't think I really need to add anything. I appreciate that. Let's back up a bit. Mm -hmm. So everything was going great on your mission. You had amazing companions. You had an amazing mission president. What happened to kind of halt all that wonderful stuff that was going on and made it so you needed to come home. This is going to sound a little bit weird, and I don't say this to many people because I feel like it makes me sound like a bit of a quitter, but when I put in my mission papers, I had a feeling that I was going to come home early. I didn't know when that was going to happen, and I knew that you know I could serve the full 18 months or whatever, but I, I just had like kind of a feeling, and at the time I didn't know if it was like, anxiety or sort of uh, uh, like a, a, a bias of some kind, but I always kind of had that feeling. And I think the big kicking point for me realizing that I wasn't okay or as okay as I thought I was, was when I was called to train. I had, <laughs> I had just finished my own training when my mission president called and asked me if I would train a sister missionary. And like anyone that gets the call to train, I think that you're very nervous that you're going to totally like skew this, this baby missionary off course and you're going to be you know, terrible influence. And so I had all of those nerves, but I also realized at the time that I was feeling really, really numb. I was feeling really sort of empty. Uh, when I was a teenager, I thought that being depressed was more of a 
you know, you're, you're, it's like that scene in Twilight when Bella is just so sad <laughs> that she just sits in her room for months and months and it's just this overwhelming, just debilitating sadness. And I, I didn't experience that. I experienced an extreme sort of apathy and lack of emotion. And I started training this sister missionary who is wonderful. She's so solid. She's great. And I went to a, a meeting. Uh, I, I want to say it was like a big zone conference or something. And my mission president called me into his office and my competitor and I were late because I am habitually late. And I remember sitting down with him and he said, Sister Fulmer, you look harried this morning. You look like you're in a rush. And I remember I just broke down in tears. And I said, you know, President, I can't feel anything. I can't feel the spirit. I can't feel anything. And it really scared me because as a missionary, I feel like we're promised an increased sensitivity to the spirit and to be able to discern what is necessary for us. And it terrified me that I, I couldn't do that and that I, I felt like I didn't care, but I wanted to care so bad. And so I had to force myself to, and it was really tiring me out. And so my mission president, he said, well, feeling nothing is not good. And I said, no, you're right. It's not. And, um, so he said, well, let's start on therapy here in the mission and we'll see what a, a therapist, how a therapist can help you. And so I was like, okay, that sounds really good to me because it was nice to feel heard and seen. And then, um, the first day that I was supposed to go to therapy with an LDS Family Services therapist, which was in the same building that my mission office was in, my baby missionary that I was training, she got emergency transferred uh, to a different zone because a different sister had to be emergency sent home because of a concussion. And I was going to, a, at the time, I was going to a, a companionship of two sisters that were in the same zone as me. I remember pulling up in the parking lot of dropping my baby off to go into this new zone that she has no idea what she's doing. Her companion is a sister training leader. She's getting dropped into like a, you know, a boiling pot of water. And I remember this sister, this STL who was still there, and she was, you know, very confused too. She was like, Sister Fulmer, I don't know if I can do this. And I said, babe, listen, if you only knew what was going on with me, you would feel just fine. And um, so we switched. And every time I saw my baby and this other sister after, they looked really happy and they were getting along and it was great. And so I started going to therapy with my new, in this new tripanionship. And something that really stung was my therapist. It was like he didn't believe me when I said, you know, I don't feel anything because it, it just completely invalidated me because it's like, oh, well, maybe I'm just making this up, but I would leave and I would tell my companions and they would say, your therapist is crazy. Like he's clearly just not listening to you. And 
it was tough because I would go into these sessions and think, okay, well, today's the day that, you know, finally he's going to believe me, he's going to see me, and, and I, I'm going to, he's going to, like, give me something to, like, work on that'll actually, like, really help me, and it'll be fantastic. But that never happened. And it got to a point where I was like, I need to do something to, like, show, like, I'm not kidding. <laughs> this is real. This is hard. I, I'm so scared and so lost. And it only happened once, but I remember we were driving somewhere and it was it was dark, I was with my companions, and I was sitting in the back seat of the car, and I had my apartment key from my first apartment, and I was just kind of running it over, I was running the rough edges over my wrists, and I was doing it sort of just absentmindedly, and, you know, the, the feeling of it you know, sort of grounding me in something, and it scared me, <laughs> because I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing? And I told my therapist this because I was like, what is this? Why, why am I doing this? And he, you know, said something about it just being all for attention. And in that moment, it kind of clicked that I was like, yeah, maybe it was a little bit for attention because I need someone to see that I am not okay because the only people that are seeing me right now are my companions and they can't do anything about it. And I think that was the last therapy session that I had with this man. And then after that, I, I mentioned, I like said in my weekly update to my mission president, I was like, president, I think I need to go home because I'm, I'm really not okay. And I don't remember if I told him about the um, incident with the keys, but I just remember saying, I just need to go home and figure this out. And he was very understanding. I felt really bad at the time because my mission president was fairly new to the mission. And so I was like, I'm probably just this complete weird, scary mess to him that he and his wife are just lovingly like, I don't know what to do with you, but I'm just going to love the crap out of you. <laughs> and um, so I went home and it was really tough when my parents found out that I was coming home. They uh, called me on a P-Day and <laughs> we were... Um, writing emails in a local library and I got a call from my parents American phone number and it was really strange and I sat in the public bathroom at this library for about 45 minutes just on the phone with them mostly my mom because my dad was having trouble speaking and I remember my mom said don't come home unless you can't take it anymore Sorry, just a second. Don't come home unless you just hate everything and you just can't take it anymore. You know, don't come home unless that happens. And 
I said to my like senior companion, she was she was going home like the week after um, I eventually went home because she finished her mission. And I, I said that my mom had told me that and she said, um, she said, Sister Fulmer, if you go home for those reasons, you wouldn't be going home for the right reasons. Because she knew that I, I, like I said earlier, I loved my mission president, my companions, the people we were teaching, the wards we served in, the missionaries that were in my district and my zone. And she said, my companion said, it's because you love those people so much that you're going home and taking care of yourself. And I think about that conversation a lot. And I, I think I was really blessed to have a companion like that who was wise enough to see the sort of the, she was wise enough to see the forest through the trees. And, and so I ended up going home like, you know, just a, a couple days later and I remember the day that I left, my um, companions that I left behind, they offered to, they did the baptismal, I don't know what it is, invitation, that's what it is. They invited someone to baptism, and they agreed, and it was someone that we had been really hoping for and working on for a long time, and I was just so happy for them, and I was so excited to see their progress, even as I was sitting in the Salt Lake Airport, you know, getting ready to go home. So that's the very long story of that sort of shift that took place. <laughs> wow, yeah, no, it's okay. Thank you so much for sharing your story. There's so many aspects and so many things that went on for you. And frankly, I'm glad that you were able to come home and that you had that amazing companion who had the insight to tell you you don't have to take or you don't have to stay until you break like mm -hmm. you can go home and take care of yourself before you get to that point and I think that's so important and I think it's so important for listeners to hear that as well that it's okay that you came home before your breaking point we don't want you to get to your breaking point that's that's not a good thing and um, I don't fault your mom for telling you that though I think oh, she's yeah. trying to encourage you and um, just, you know, like, make sure that this was really what you wanted, you know, and I think parents are often like that, that they want, you know, that they want you to, to succeed. They, they don't want you to feel like you failed in any way, which, which is what happens to a lot of people who come home early. And even if that's mistaken, it comes from a place of love. So I, I wanted to emphasize that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I remember when I got off the plane, there was a couple minutes of like panic where I was like, what if no one is here to come get me? What if they're all at home? Like, oh, so it's you again. But I remember my, my whole family was there except for my sister. Cause she lived far away and you know, a couple days notice wasn't enough. Um, but my mom had a big bouquet of flowers for me and we all just, 
you know, just were hugging and laughing. And um, when we finally got back to home home, back to the house, I remember we were standing in the kitchen and my mom grabbed my hands and she said, sorry, just a second. She said, baby girl, how do you feel? And she had a big smile on her face. I said, mom, I feel a lot of peace. And her smile got somehow even wider. And she said, me too. And that was the end of it. She didn't ever bring up the 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 comment that she made in the in the Calgary Public Library bathroom. And there was there was just the sudden peace. And I was really, really lucky for that. And I am so glad that I was so lucky. And like you said earlier, I know that other people do not get those kind of experiences, but I was so blessed for that. And I hope that the people who didn't have that experience or, or even had an experience similar to mine are still healing and working on themselves from those memories and those feelings and all of that. But I was very, very lucky. Indeed you were. And you have an amazing support group. And you had an amazing mission president, too. I love what you said. You kind of summarized, you know, essentially all the things he said to you into, I don't know what to do with you, but I'm just going to love the crap out of you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so awesome. He just mm -hmm. loved you. He loved you in your worst moments. He didn't shame you. He didn't make you feel bad. He didn't make you feel like a burden. He just loved you and wanted to do what was best for you so he got you into therapy which unfortunately wow i mean did you have the option to go to a different therapist um there were two therapists working at that office but the other one which was the 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 therapist that all the missionaries were like oh yeah i went to the other guy and he was great <laughs> and i was like oh sick that would have been awesome <laughs> but um he was like fully booked with other patients and clients and so I didn't have the option, but I remember my mission president saying, well, this other therapist, he's great. And he's been, he's had experience with missionaries before. And so hopefully he'll be a good match for you. And I was like, okay. And I'd never done therapy ever before. I was, I'd never been diagnosed with, you know, MDD or GAD or anything until even after my mission, because my therapist in Calgary, I asked him, I was like, so at the end of my first session, I said, so do you think I'm depressed? Because I, I wanted to be like, I, I don't know, I needed like something sort of tangible, like the word for it. And he said, no, I think you have adjustment issues with depressed moods. Those were his exact words. And I'll never forget the feeling of being like, what? Like, that doesn't make any sense. That makes zero sense. Especially because he started the session saying, yeah, uh, depression is kind of like the common cold because, you know, everyone, you know, gets it at different times. Sometimes it's more severe than other times. And I was like, so you just gave me this weird diagnosis that 
doesn't make any sense and doesn't track with any of the information I told you in this session. Cool. Love that for us. So. Yeah, no, depression is real. And you definitely had, I mean, I'm not going to diagnose you because I'm not a professional. (laughs) Definitely sounds like you had something very serious going on with depression and not being able to feel anything. Which, Mm -hmm. by the way, that is so common on missions, especially with those with mental health issues. So for him to say that you're just having adjustment issues, I mean, that's ridiculous. And plus, you were enjoying yourself up until a certain point. So, yeah, yeah, and missions are hard, but not being able to feel anything, not being able to feel the spirit, um, feeling apathetic when you hadn't before, just a sudden, not necessarily sudden, but just a, a mood shift. But some, it sounds like it was deeper. I don't know. If I had been a therapist, I definitely would have dug deeper instead of trying to, um, what did he do? Write Rush it off? off as something else. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, was medication ever an option? That was another feeling. Uh, that was another question I had. Um, medication was an option. but So my sister is a, is a nurse. And I mentioned to her, like, in an email or something, because I was was asking her, like, what are the symptoms of depression? And I said, I don't know why I said this, but I I made the decision that if I felt like, or if a doctor felt like I needed to be medicated, I was going to come home and deal with that. Because I know that medication that has to do with mental health issues can cause a lot of weird, difficult side effects. And I loved my companions too much to have them exposed to that, especially because they'd already been dealing with a very, very depressed me. They were doing things like I was really bad and I would sleep until seven every day (laughs) and they would not wake me up. They would just let me sleep. Um, I had a companion that would always cook for me because I just refused to eat. And so I was just... I was, I was difficult enough. I didn't need to be more of a pill because of medication. And so when I came home, one of the first things I did was go to a doctor and get prescribed medication. And the doctor that I went to, the first thing he said when I told him all my symptoms, he said, yeah, that's, that's very classic MDD, major depressive disorder. And so he prescribed me medication. And I, I still take medication to this day for my depression. So yes, it was a factor for me. Okay, no, that's great to know. And then you were able to come home. And I love, too, that conversation you had with your mom. That up to this point, it sounds like you really weren't able to feel anything. And now that you're home with your parents, uh, you were able to feel peace. Mm -hmm. Was that the first time you had felt peace in a while? Yeah, it was. It's difficult because a lot of people, I I guess I can't speak for a lot of people, but before this sort of point in my life, I imagined the feeling of peace to be sort of like, sort of related to apathy, where it's just kind of like a settling, right? But it's, apathy is very cold and distant, where peace is very warm and, you know, uh, like like a hug. And, um, there had been times on my mission when I felt peace before this, like, I remember listening to a song with my mission companion, 
and it was it was very peaceful and very nice. And then the meeting I had with my mission president when it was decided that I would go home, I felt a lot of peace then. And my last district meeting that I went to was the day after we it decided it was decided that I was going home. And I felt a lot of peace telling the rest of my zone that I was going home. And all those, it was mostly elders in my zone, and they were all very sweet to step in and give me a blessing. And that was very peaceful. So it hadn't been a long time, but it was nice to really feel the peace sort of filter in into the situation my kitchen holding my mom's hand more strongly than it had been in the last while so yeah I hope that makes sense <laughs> no it does make sense and thank you for sharing that all the moments you felt peace it's kind of just an added testimony especially considering when you came home so many things happened to you all at once especially with your dad to have that like confirmation if you will or just a good feeling just a good peaceful feeling to know that this is good this is good what I'm doing this is the right move this is the right choice for me um I think it's good and I hope I hope everyone can feel peace in their lives at some point although I know that path can be different for everyone yeah it was Um, it was really sorry I'm gonna interrupt you it was it was really nice because like many people with anxiety I need a really strong like assurance that something is right and so that was that was a really good moment and you know like you said there are lots of people that don't always get that or that it's very different but I like you said hope that other people can get a moment like that because that is really reassuring and a real a real kindness from the Lord so yeah anyway sorry to interrupt you Oh, no, you're totally fine. Thank you. I agree with that. And lastly, how did you move forward with your life? You've gotten married and whatnot. I think a lot of people struggle with moving forward, especially after coming home early due to mental illness. What steps did you take to move forward? I think the biggest thing was I got a job as soon as I could. Like I said, it was a very physically demanding job that didn't provide me with a lot of chance for self-care, but it was a good job that put me in a situation with people that were not, that were, that were kind of the opposite from me. Um, and so it, it helped me sort of open up my worldview a little bit more. And so it didn't feel so closed off to, you know, just me and what I was going through. Um, and then I went back to school as soon as I could because I always felt very um, empowered by going to school and stuff like that. And I the I think biggest thing that I feel like a lot of early return missionaries grapple with is how do you sort of broach the subject of coming home early? And I I have always been someone that doesn't like to hide things from people. And I'm not saying that people who come home early, you know, hide that fact, but I've always been someone that's very blunt about difficult situations. 
um, that I experience. And something I was very upfront with, especially like dates, was I would say, yeah, I I came home early. So a lot of them would say, so you served a mission. Like how, you know, how did that go? And I said, well, you know, I, I served for four months and then I came home because I was not doing well, but now I'm doing better because, you know, I'm here at school. I'm trying to get out and do more things. And a lot of guys that I went on dates with were very like surprised that I was so open about it, but it was very sort of empowering to own that fact and to, you know, say it doesn't define who I am. It only enhances who I am because I've you know, gone through this and I have this sort of perspective. Something else that really helped was diving into a hobby, um, especially a hobby that involved other people. And so when I got back to school, I um, was in a sketch group and I already had friends that were in this sketch comedy group, but because I joined, I got to, you know, delve into writing and I made lots of new friends and I got to perform for people and make them laugh and I got to joke and it was it was really nice to feel needed and included in that so that is how I sort of moved forward and then of course I met my husband who is also very he is really wonderful about you know not hiding the facts of my life or trying to like I don't know he, he doesn't shy away from the fact that I'm mentally ill and um, he doesn't try to sort of talk over me or try to define for me my feelings and my everything like that. He lets me own that. And I think that's something that's really important too. So that's how I moved forward or as forward as I could. That's awesome. Yep, I love it. You didn't isolate. You didn't hide. You were very open about your experience. You kind of hit it head on. And that allowed people to probably share with you some of their hard experiences. I would imagine they were probably they probably saw you as someone who was safe. Yeah, I had tried to do that before. But I think going on a mission really opened my eyes to being like, this is what it means to be a safe person and being open with people is something that now I'm very used to. <laughs> I I work with the young women right now in my ward and a couple Sundays ago we had young women's and I was telling them about stuff on my mission and I always preface, you know, if I ever talk about self-harming or anything like that, I always preface it by saying, you know, if I make you uncomfortable, I am truly sorry for that, but I want to be open and honest with you so that you understand that, you know, I have experience, you know, I have experienced maybe something similar that you've gone through or that, you know, I'm not here to judge you because I think that there's so much judging going on in the world that you lose that sort of openness and willingness to see people as they are, to meet them where they are. So that's something that I have really tried to take with me from the experience of coming home early from a mission. 
perfect. It sounds like you've taken all the right things from this experience and that you've been able to use this experience in your life to help others and to also just grow yourself. And I'm so happy for you. It sounds like you're doing really well. Are you are you doing as well as it, as you sound or um... I'm trying. I'm trying. I hope people don't listen to this and be like, "Wow, so she's 100%. Like what's it like being back out on the about out on the basketball court?" Um no, I I still get really sad, especially around this time of year. It's really hard for me cuz I've never liked my birthday and then the anniversary of my dad passing away. Like it's a lot. So I get a lot of you know, seasonal depression and I just get bouts of, you know, sad and I, it's a lot. So I am doing better because I do, even though it's not the exact same support system as I had when I came home, I still have a really strong support system around me and, you know, and it's, it's only growing. And so I, I like to think that I'm doing well, but it's like everyone. Some days are going to be better than others. <laughs> That's true. That's so true. And I love that it's a support system that you have helped yourself create. And um, I think that's so important. Well, for time's sake, unfortunately, we need to end our podcast. Um, are there any last things you want to say to anyone who is going through something similar? I think the only thing I have to say is you are the only person that knows how best to take care of yourself. And you need to listen to when either your body is telling you that you need something or your, your brain is telling you to do something to help yourself. And whether that's going out on a walk or thinking randomly, well, maybe I should reach out to this person, or maybe I need to make a huge change in my life. No one should dictate whether or not you should do that. You know, people might be like, well, why do you want to do that? That's strange. Or why do you want to do that? That's totally not what you had in your plans. As long as you're doing what's best for you, and you're doing it with faith and with, you know, some kind of assurance from Heavenly Father that it's the right move for you, then then you should move forward with that, even if it's a difficult choice to make, like saying to your mission president, I'm not okay, or something like that. So I hope that the people that listen to this figure out ways to learn to trust themselves, because I think that people with mental illness, they sort of train themselves to not trust themselves. And I think that we can trust ourselves. It just takes practice. Good words of advice. Good words of wisdom, too. All right. Well, thank you, Wallace, so much for being here today. Thank you for being so open, sharing your story. Just so glad to be able to have you. That concludes this interview on Early Homecoming. If you would like to go deeper into the experiences of early returned missionaries, please consider buying my book, Early Homecoming. You can find it in paperbook, ebook, or audiobook formats on Amazon. If you would like to contact me, please come find me on Instagram at author underscore Kristen Reber or on Facebook at 
facebook.com slash Kristen Reber. That's K-R-I-S-T-E-N-R-E-B-E-R.